I hope you'll take your Bibles or find one around you and open to Psalm 116. We've been working through the Psalms on and off for a while now, and I think this is our 47th Psalm. So we're almost a third of the way through. This week, I needed to buy a new tent. I have a little camping trip coming up over spring break. Needed a tent, so I went online and started doing a little looking, and I narrowed my search down to three or four that looked like what we needed, and then I did something I almost always do before I make any purchase over, you know, 50 bucks. Started reading reviews. Because, see, I want to know what kind of experiences other people have had before I go sleep in the woods in this tent. If you just go by the description that's on the website, the manufacturer says that this thing will hold up through hurricanes, tornadoes, volcano eruptions. It's like a fortress. You'll sleep better than you've ever slept in your life. I have my doubts. But I go through the reviews, and I have a philosophy about reviews. Five-star reviews don't count. One-star reviews don't count, because those people are way too happy, and these people are way too mad. I want to hear that three and four. These are the honest folks. And there were some that were smiling. They had pictures with their tent, but this was before the night. So I was going through the reviews. I was looking for something specific. I wanted to hear from some people who went out and things didn't go as planned. The one who was caught in bad weather. The family who went and it rained all night. I wanted to hear about that guy who set it up and then the wind blew 100 miles an hour for six hours. Let's be honest. If the weather's nice, the quality of the tent doesn't matter that much. If the weather was nice, I wouldn't need a tent. So I went looking for people who talked about times when conditions weren't perfect. And those are the testimonies that, for me, carried some weight. On a much more serious note, I'm thankful that when we come to the Scriptures, we don't only have stories of people with easy lives and comfortable situations. We have stories of people who found themselves in some rough spots. We have testimonies how God interacts with people in different seasons. It's one of the reasons I love the Psalms, because in the Psalms, more than any other part of Scripture, we get to hear from people who have been through all these different ups and downs, highs and lows. We hear from people who have found themselves in hard places and who cry out to God for help. And that's exactly what we have in Psalm 116. This testimony of a man who found himself in a hard place. He cries out to God, and his testimony is that God saved him. It's a testimony of the way that God cares for his people. Now, before we go to the text, before I read Psalm 116, I have one more thing to say about online reviews. You can't trust them, they're not really that reliable. They do impact my decisions, but I know that they're so subjective, right? There's so many variables from the product to the person to the use. So really, I spend a lot of time reading, but there's only so much value that's really there. But church, what we have in Psalm 116, this is so much more than a testimony from someone that's subjective. This is the inspired, preserved word of God. In this testimony, we learn about God. We learn about how he interacts with his people. 
and we can trust what we read here because it's been given to us by him. And as we read the story of a man who went through a hard time and cries out to God, this should build confidence and hope for us. It's a testimony of a man who cried out to God and God saved him. So Psalm 116, you can go ahead and read the whole Psalm for us. So I hope you have your Bible open and you'll follow along as we read. Hear the word of God. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. He inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pains of Sheol, they laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. The Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul to death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed. Even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, All mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in the midst of, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. May God do his work in us through the reading and preaching of his word. I wonder how you would finish this sentence. I love the Lord because. Maybe you would say, I love the Lord because he has forgiven me from my sins, of my sins. Or, I love the Lord because he has met my needs. I love the Lord because he sent his son to die in my place. I love the Lord because he has blessed me with family and friends and good things. Lots of ways we could finish that sentence, right? And all of them, all of those at least, and probably the ones you're thinking, are good and true. But maybe the most theologically accurate answer to that question is found in 1 John chapter 4. In verse 10, we read this. In this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son. And then verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Why do we love God? Because he's loved us. 
It's not that we loved him. He loved us first. And our love, any love we have for him, it's a response to the love that he set on us. That's what I thought of when I read the first part of this psalm. The psalm begins with this expression for love for God, but it flows out of what God has done for him. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. The psalmist recognizes I have been loved by him, and it's because of the way he has loved me that I now love him. I love him because he has heard me. These first two verses, they're really a summary. They're an overview. They're a good introduction of what we're going to get in the rest of the psalm. We have this man who's cried out to God, and he says, God heard me. He heard my voice. He heard my pleas. And I like the way he describes the way that God heard him. See this in verse 2? He says, he inclined his ear to me. It's a great picture. This thought of inclining. Think about a small child who's upset, having a hard time communicating. And so the parent gets low and turns their ear so they can hear. That's the sense of this inclining. God turns his ear towards his servant. He leans in. He comes close. He has heard. There's a difference between hearing and hearing, isn't there? And we're told here that God has heard. And it's because of God's care for him that the psalmist says, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Which is to say, I am sure that I can trust him no matter what comes. What he's not simply saying is, okay, it worked this time, and so I'm going to keep going back because this seems to work. It's, it's deeper than that. He's saying, I am fully confident in God. I will trust him for the rest of my life, come what may. But what did he need help from? What did he need saving from? We start to get more details in verse 3. He describes the situation. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Brian, would you go push the air conditioner down some? This time of year, man, it's um, hard to know where to set that temperature, and it's getting warm in here. If you're cold, I'm sorry. Distress and anguish. That's what we're talking about here. Okay? I wouldn't have stopped the sermon if not for distress and anguish. There's a lot of imagery in verse 3, isn't there? He's describing death as a trap. These ropes have been wrapped around him and holding him tight. He's been grabbed by the pangs of Sheol, which is the place of the dead. He feels like he's being pulled in, drawn in by death. And while that's happening, he describes this process of being held in, pulled in, strapped in by death. He says, I was suffering distress and anguish. The imagery is thick and the situation is grim. But what is the situation? Let me give you some options. It could be that he is literally fearing that he will die. Maybe he was sick and dying. Maybe from disease. Maybe he was being pursued by an enemy 
And he was convinced this enemy will catch me. This enemy will kill me. Maybe he's talking of a literal fear of death. Or it's possible that this talk of death is metaphorical. Maybe this is a time when he feels like everything is lost, right? Metaphorically, I am losing everything. Life is slipping away. Now, that's possible. I think there's things later in the psalm that make me think that he really did fear for his physical life. But the nature of the suffering isn't what's most important in the psalm. Here's what we need to know. He was in a situation that seemed hopeless. He didn't see a way out. I think that's something that most of us can relate to, isn't it? The feeling that all is lost. That you are just hours or maybe days away from losing everything. And from your perspective, from your vantage point, there's no way out of this. And that's where the psalmist was. And so he does the only thing he knows to do. He cries out to God. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. We've talked recently, I think on a Wednesday night, about this idea of the name of the Lord. To talk about the name of the Lord, it's representative of his character, of his reputation, that he's the one who can save. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who's delivered his people in the past, and they've seen it, and they've experienced it. I don't want to rush past it, that he is calling out to a God whom he knows. Friends, it's not enough to cry out to some vague idea of a higher power. The psalmist isn't putting his trust in an impersonal force of the universe. That's the way people talk a lot of times, isn't it? Just some ambiguous higher power who may help me. Thoughts and prayers, good vibes. What we see here is the psalmist crying out to a God he knows. He calls him by name, Yahweh. The God who has shown himself, who has come to the aid of his people in the past. The God who has a reputation for saving those in need. And hear this, church. This is the God that we pray to. A God who's real and who can be known. Fight for that in your prayers. Recognize I am praying to a God who is real and who can be known and who knows me. A God who has shown that he is involved in the affairs of the world and that nothing happens outside of his control. So when we say we trust in God, when we say we're praying to God, let's leave no doubt that we are trusting in and praying to a God who is real and personal and knowable. The psalmist says he cries out, O Yahweh, O Lord, deliver my soul. Now, we've been in the Gospel of Mark for a while. We've been reading and hearing narrative. And let me just acknowledge and remind you that reading poetry is very different than reading narrative. And if I need to give you, if I, if I can give you one tip for reading poetry, which is what this is, is to read it slowly and to try to feel the weight of each line. Because you have transitions, and if you didn't feel the weight, then you're going to miss the transition. Notice this transition from four to five. 
Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous and merciful. You feel that? The transition? He doesn't come right out and say that God has saved him. No, he cries out to God. He tells us, I've cried out to God. And then it goes silent. And I think he softly says, know this, friends. I cried out to God. Let me tell you about God. He is gracious. I called on the name of the Lord and he is righteous. I called on the name of the Lord. He is merciful. He calls him there in verse 5. Our God. Our God is merciful. And I just want to say to you, church, our God is merciful. He doesn't always give us what we deserve. And there are traits of God listed there that we see throughout the scriptures. But of course, the place where we see the character of God on display most fully is in the work of Christ. How do we know for sure that our God is gracious and righteous and merciful? Look to the cross of Christ. He sent his son to die to take the punishment that we deserve. In Jesus, he gave us something that we do not deserve. In his mercy, he spared us from punishment. Church, the cross is the proof. God is gracious. He is righteous and he is merciful. He cares for the weak. He cares for those who cry out to him. He went to great lengths to show us his care. He says in verse 6, the Lord, Yahweh, preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Growing up in West Texas, my dad always said, the Lord cares for the ignorant and the blind. And he would say, and I'm both. That's the sense of this. The Lord cares for the simple. If you've been reading the Proverbs, we read the Proverbs as a church recently. We see this a lot. The simple man compared to the wise man. It's this man with a lack of understanding, maybe naive or gullible. I think it's used here. The psalmist is saying, I was weak. I couldn't figure things out on my own. I was ignorant of what to do next. But thankfully, God cares for the weak. It says he protects the simple. He protects those who can't protect themselves. The psalmist says, when I was brought low, he saved me. Church, I hope you don't miss this. Because I think sometimes we can doubt. Have you ever been here? You doubt that God will do anything with your mess? I'm the simple. Would God ever help me? Am I worth God's effort? I want you to hear this. The Lord preserves the simple. The psalmist doesn't say, I crawled up, I was at the top, and then he gave me that extra boost. He says, no, no, when I was low, low, he saved me. Reminds me of the invitation, Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. What's he saying? 
You don't have anything? That's, that's great. Come. Come. The testimony of the psalmist is that God saved him when he was at his lowest point. He took him from a place of pain, a place of pain and anxiety, and he, he takes him to a place of rest. Verse 7, he's talking to himself. I told you recently to preach the gospel to yourself. There's a little bit of that going on here. He says, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. What's he saying? I've found rest in God in the past. Soul, go back there. Spurgeon says it's like a bird returning to his nest after a long time in the wind. Know this, there is rest to be found. Jesus says, Matthew 11, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is what the psalmist has experienced. He was in a place of desperation, a place of uncertainty, but he goes to God, he cries out to God, God hears his prayer and he says, there's rest. Go, oh my soul, to that place of rest. Let's just acknowledge, sometimes the situation doesn't change, but we can still experience the rest of God. We can trust him with our lives, with the details of our lives. Maybe you're like the psalmist. You know that God has saved you. You know you don't have to fear, but there's still this temptation to anxiety, to worry. What you need to know is that God cares for the weak. He provides rest for the weary. So say to yourself, Rest, oh my soul, the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Like I said at the beginning, we need these kind of testimonies, right? We need to go, we need to hear who God is and what God does. This is the way he cares for his people. He hears our prayers, he responds, he is gracious and merciful. He cares for the weak. What's clear is that the man in the psalm had experienced a radical deliverance. And then he describes the deliverance. Verse 8 is probably my favorite verse in the psalm. I think it's just the rhythm of it. He says, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Isn't that great? It does two things. First, it acknowledges the fullness of suffering. Death, tears, stumbling. But it also acknowledges the fullness of God's salvation. The way I put it on your notes is, he gives life. He saves my soul from death. He gives life. He saves my soul, my eyes from tears. He gives peace or comfort. He saves my feet from stumbling. He gives stability. We see how radically the situation has been changed. We see how salvation frees him up to live a different kind of life. He says there in verse 9, Because he has done this, soul from death, eyes from tears, 
feet from stumbling. Because of that, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Do you know what it's like to be in a stage of life where you feel far from God? To be at a place where God seems distant, almost unreachable? Maybe you've been there. Maybe when you come to church, you, you feel like everyone around you gets the songs, not just like melodically, but they get it and they feel it. And for you, it's just not landing. What he's describing in verse 9 is the opposite of that. He says, because of what God's done, I can walk before the Lord. Think of the, the gaze of the Lord, the, the presence of the Lord. He says, I can walk there openly and in freedom. I'm in fellowship with God, walking wide open in his presence. Here, not in heaven, in the land of the living. I am here, but I'm in the presence of God, known and being known. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. It's a great description of what we should want our position before God to look like. Given new life, spared from the fear of punishment, and dwelt by the Spirit. Our response should be, He has saved me. I will walk before Him, known by Him, seen by Him in the land of the living. This is what the psalmist is saying. I'm at a place where I can live in freedom and joy. And that's a far cry from anguish and distress, isn't it? It's a long ways away. And if you're in anguish and distress this morning in your soul, can I tell you, it's not that far <laughs> to freedom and joy. Cry out to God. He hears the prayers of his people. He cares. Now, I'm working through the psalm. I'm writing the sermon. We get to verse 9. And if I could go from verse 9 to verse 12, killer transition, so easy. Because 12 to 19, he tells us how he responds to the work of God. And if I could go from walking in the land of the living to here's how he responds, we're home free. But then we've got these two verses that really messed up my outline, okay? And I didn't know what to do with them. Not your problem, just mine. He says this, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Okay, so we sit with that and trying to understand what it said. It's an awkward translation, so you see a lot of divergence in different translations because it was kind of weird for, it's a weird translation. But I think I finally understood what he said when I read it backwards. Let's read it backwards. He says at the end, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. He's thinking back to when he was in that situation, distress and anguish, and he's saying, I couldn't trust anybody. All those people who said they would be there for me, they weren't. I was in anguish and distress, and there was no one there to help me. Now let's go back a little further. He says, I was greatly afflicted. I was afflicted. There was no one I could trust. Let's go back one further. I believed. 
even when I said I'm greatly afflicted, even when I said in my alarm, all men are liars. I could trust no one. I was in distress and anguish. Even then, I believed. You're saying, I saw that the first time. It took me a minute, okay? Be patient with me. It took me a minute to get there, but this is a statement of faith, of confidence in God. After all he's been through, he says, even when I was at my lowest and I knew there was no one I could trust, even then I believed. And I went through all this struggle, and then I realized that Paul actually quotes this verse. And if we just go read what Paul says, it's, it's plain as day. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Get yourself a good reference Bible. It'll save you an hour, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. He's describing the difficulty of his ministry. He's giving his life, and it feels like death. He says this, verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, where, Paul? In Psalm 116, verses 10 and 11. It has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. Paul says, we also believe and so we speak, knowing this, that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. He says, the psalmist said it. Even when I was in my distress, I believed. He spoke and Paul says, I'll speak to. Knowing this, the one who has the power to raise his son from the dead, I'm in his hands. He'll raise me too. I'm glad he didn't leave out verses 10 and 11 for the sake of my transition. It's out of this deep-seated faith and trust that he could cry out to God. That's where I really want to encourage you this morning. Especially, hear me, church, if you're in a good place this morning, you came in good, listen, please. This is why we must not cease coming together. This is why we must give ourselves to the scriptures every day, even when things are great. We must nourish and kindle this kind of faith. A kind of faith that won't shrivel in distress and anguish. A kind of faith that when life comes hard, we can say, even still, I believe. Everyone else, they're liars. <laughs> great affliction. I believe. And that doesn't happen by accident, does it? It happens through these rhythms, week in and week out, coming together and being reminded that he can be trusted. Singing songs that say, only our holy God, he is set apart, he is higher, and we sing it and we try to believe it. And we do that every week. Different songs. We do it every week. And every day we go to the scriptures and we read. And what are we doing? We're building this faith so that distress, anguish, we can say, it's, it's, man, I believe. Right? And if you're struggling to believe and you wonder if he cares, can I point you again to the cross? 
point you back to where we've been the last few weeks at the end of the Gospel of Mark. We know the love of God and his care for us because of what he did. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Does he care about you? He sent his son to die. Paul says if he would do that, is there anything he would withhold? He would not withhold his own son. You can trust him, friends. If you've repented and believed, you can know this for sure. God hears you. God will not let you go. You can cry out to him. And we've, when we've experienced that kind of salvation, we should be left with a question. If you've gone through that, if you know the length and the depth and the height of God's love and salvation, you should have this question. It's the right question. Verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits of, for me? If you're not asking that question, right, you don't understand what's been done for you. When we're overwhelmed, when we get it, when we see the cross, when we understand this was for my salvation, we should ask the question, what should I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? And the answer is there's, there's really nothing you can do to, to pay back what has been done for you. But there are ways that we should respond. And the psalmist doesn't give us all the ways, but he gives us his ways, and it's a good starting place for us. Look at verse 13. He says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. And we could spend the next 10 or 15 minutes talking about, is this a literal cup? Is he talking about a drink offering? Because we just read Leviticus, and there's all this talk of these cup offerings. And so it's possible he's saying, I'm going to go into the temple with my cup, and I'm going to offer this to the Lord. Or it just could be metaphorical for the praise of God, this praise of gratitude. And however we take it, this is the right first response. To know that we've been saved and to praise God for his salvation. When, how, where? Let's start with our private time of prayer. Not only should we cry out to God with our request, but we should praise him. Praise God for his salvation. It should happen as we talk to one another. I hope your conversations with one another include praise of God and what he's done. It should happen as we come together and sing. Can I just encourage you? Use that time well. And I, I, I will admit, I have not always used it well because sometimes I'm singing and I'm thinking, okay, Psalm 116, right? Can I encourage us all to slow down and to use that time well to sing praises to the God of salvation? To take stock of all that God has done. We should be a people of praise. The psalmist said, I lift up my cup, I praise God. And then he says, verse 14, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Now this one may be a little more specific to him. Maybe you've said something like this before. God, if you get me through this one, I pro if, if you keep this tent up through the night, <laughs> I promise, right? We, we make these 
Well, in Jewish culture, this was not just a throwaway line. There were serious vows made in times of distress. And it seems that our psalmist has made this vow. And now he says, I will do what I said I would do. I will keep my vow in the presence of the people. Maybe a, a good example of this is in Psalm 66, verse 13. The psalmist there says, and just think of a person keeping their vow. He says, I will come into your presence with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. Not my vows, my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. So he says, when I was in trouble, my lips said these things, my mouth promised these things. So I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of sacrificed rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats, Selah. And then he says, as come and hear all you who fear God, I will tell you what he has done for my soul. So he had made this vow when he was in trouble. I'll make these sacrifices. I will proclaim your goodness to other people. And now he says in Psalm 66, I'm, I'm keeping my vow. And I think that's what we see in our, our text. Now, whether or not we slay a, a, a ram or bring a cup, we should want to tell others what God has done, right? It goes right along with praise, doesn't it? We praise God for his goodness and we speak of his kindness to others. We see this response of, of praise and of telling others. And we see a response of confidence in God. Here's another one that took me a minute. Verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I think this is week three, in a, week three of me referencing the funeral business. I've been to a lot of funerals, and it wasn't uncommon for a, a minister to start his sermon this way. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, which I think is a way of saying, God has brought his servant into glory. And that's beautiful. And I think that's true, but maybe not from this context. Because this context isn't about a man who died. It's about a guy who was saved from death. So we got to push in. What's he, what does he mean? Well, that word precious, it means costly, valuable, rare. Perhaps it means this. God does not take the death of his people lightly. He's not indifferent. He's not aloof. No one dies silently outside of the care of God. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so maybe that minister wasn't too far off, but I think the way we get there is a little bit different. Consider the net translation. That's a, a good translation, but takes a little more freedom with interpretation. And it says this, the Lord values the life of his followers. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Let's take the other side of that. He values the life of his people. What's he saying? God doesn't miss anything. And if the psalmist was going to die, that mattered to God. And if the psalmist was going to live, that matter to God. This verse, I believe, is an expression of confidence in God. Whether I live or whether I die, it's to the Lord. It's in his eyes. It's in his care. You will not die without his say-so. 
precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The psalmist, I believe, is responding with confidence. I can trust him. Whether I live or I die, I can trust him. And I will submit to him. Verse 16. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant. The son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. He says it three times, three ways. I'm your servant. I'm your servant. My mom was your servant. I'm your servant. You have loosed my bonds. There's a contrast there. You've set me free. I'm your servant. Peter says it this way. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. It is for freedom that you have been set free. Those who have experienced the grace and mercy and kindness of God, this is the right response. You have saved me from death. I will live for you. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. My question for us is, if we have experienced that salvation, are we living as servants? Or have we taken our freedom and lived the way we want to live? How can we repay God for what he's done? We can't. But we should give our lives to him with joy. We should be happy servants. And our joy and our praise should be something we want others to hear and see. And I think we see that in the last three verses. There's a lot of repetition here, uh, verses 13 and 14. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord, and just note this, in the presence of all the peoples, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. We see his response of praise, his response of proclamation. It's not private, it's public. He's not shy. He wants everyone to know what the Lord has done for him. I think he would be glad that we are reading his testimony. When we started this morning, I told you testimonies are important. It's important for us to hear from others. And one of the ways that we can hear from others is through God's word. He's given us these inspired testimonies of how he's worked in the lives of his people. And maybe you've come in this morning with doubts of the care of God, of the protection of God, of the rest of God. Because life is hard and sin is persistent and burdens are heavy. And my prayer for you is that you would believe the review, right? Hear the testimony. God hears the prayers of his people. He can and does save people from trouble. He is gracious and merciful. He cares for the weak. He offers rest to those who trust in him. And for those of us who are his, who have experienced his salvation, this testimony is a reminder of how we should respond. We should be people of praise and gratitude, eager to give our lives and quick to speak to all who will listen. And if you're doubting whether or not God can be trusted, know this. He cares. And if you doubt it, can I say this a third time? Look to the cross. Know that this is how God has shown his love he sent his son to die, and because of Jesus, we can have forgiveness and we can have hope, not for this life only, but for the life to come. 
It's only because of Jesus that we can say this. I love the Lord. He has heard my voice and my plea for mercy. Because he has inclined his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. May this be your testimony. Let's pray together. God, I feels weird to say, but <laughs> I hate that my brother had to go through all that. Close to death, distress and anguish. We've been there. We've seen it. We know it's hard. Yet you took him through it and you delivered him out of it so that we could hear this testimony. And so now thousands of years later, we can know and be reminded that you care that you can be trusted, that you hear our prayers and that you incline your ear to us. And for that, we are thankful. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who have come in in different situations. Some do not feel the need for salvation because life is good. And for them, I pray that you would use today as a deposit into the account of faith so that when trouble comes, they can say, I believe. For my brother or sister who have come in buried with burdens and not known what to do, have considered prayer but have been unconvinced of its value, would you use this psalm to remind them that you care for the simple, you protect the weak, you will hear. We recognize, we admit, we confess, we are all in that category. We are all sinners who deserve nothing but your wrath. We recognize your love for us. We love you because you first loved us and sent your son to be a propitiation for our sins. We thank you that no matter what this life brings, we can be confident in you and eternal life that follows. Would you take what we have heard and use it for our good, for your glory, and for the advancement of your kingdom? We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.